Thanks so much for coming this morning. Good to have you. You know, we have something called The City that if you're not on, it requires your email address and phone number, and it's really a way to stay connected throughout the whole week. It's great that we come together, and there's community groups, there's ways that we kind of come together uh, in informal kinds of ways, but there's a lot of great connection and ministry happening, ideas being swapped, uh, prayer requests, that kind of thing going on uh, online with The City. So if you want more information about that, come talk to me, come talk to Ben. If you're confused by The City in any way, shape, or form, uh, talk to Ben. Um, uh, we also have this. This is sitting in the front uh, of your, uh, uh, right in front of you. Uh, this is a way to do it kind of old school, just jot down a prayer request. Um, we have many people who are just going to the hospital and whatnot, and uh, just a way to let us know to pray for them and um, visit them and, and that kind of thing. So be sure, and, and uh, you can just turn that in in the offering uh, later on. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to open up to Acts chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's fine. We've thought of that. Uh, you could bring the, or you could look at the one in front of you. As long as you don't have terrible eyesight, you can use that. Um, and uh, turn to the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. You know, it looks like this whole worldwide web thing is catching on and is here to stay. I don't know if you've picked up on that. Um, it's, it's a great way um, to swap ideas and generate, you know, community and this kind of thing. Uh, there, was a, there was a person who posted this idea. You know, I was just thinking my sister does a lot of reading, spends like $1,000 a year on just books alone. Most of them she reads once and never looks at again. Is there any kind of like video rental store but for books? Would make things a lot cheaper. Plus, once one person has read one, the next person can get enjoyment from it, etc., and the reply is, it's called a library, right? Uh, sometimes new ideas are really just forgotten truths, right? Um, we're, we're always looking for, like, what's right around the corner? Uh, what is it that's going to get me through? What's the secret power, secret advantage? Go to the bookstore, if they still have those, or look online, better yet, and start looking for titles that sell that idea. That right around the corner is the secret advantage that you need to kind of get you over the, the hump or give you that advantage over the people around you or to get you through this current crisis that you're in. Now, here's the thing. Christians are as prone as anyone else to buy into this. They're as prone as anyone else to think, oh, if only I could just get around the corner and get that new secret thing. What's, what's the new idea that's out there? You know, I have an interesting job. My job is to tell really, really old, plain insight truths over and over and over again. You know, it actually takes a lot of pressure off because I don't have to generate new ideas. Let me tell you this. You wouldn't want my new ideas. There's a lot of people selling books and doing seminars and even preaching on Sunday mornings new ideas. And that kind of does what the Bible calls tickling ears. Right? It's kind of intriguing. We think, oh, maybe this is the secret I'm looking for, but it's not eternal. Uh, here's my question. What if, much like the public library, what if the secret advantage really is right around the corner and it's just forgotten? It's like your library card. It's sit sitting there somewhere in the bottom of your purse, right? And what if it's been there all along, but it, it just looks kind of boring and you drive past it and you hardly give it a second thought because it seems so yesterday. Jesus is going to be cluing us in today on a really, really simple reality. We're locked into this portion of Scripture where he's about to depart. 
and he's giving to his disciples a promise that will change everything. It's not a new idea, but perhaps for you it's a forgotten truth. A couple of weeks ago, we were looking at this, this whole notion, and Jesus was saying, look, first comes sorrow, then joy. And remember, on Mother's Day, we talked about, you know, Jesus preached the great Mother's Day sermon a couple thousand years before Mother's Day was even invented, right? And he said, man, it's just like a woman in childbirth. That's how it's going to be. First sorrow, and then comes joy. Last week, from Matthew 24, Ben preached on this idea that Jesus is saying, remain faithful. Finish the race that's been put before you. Endure. And today, Jesus shows us the means to do just that. Here's the fuel as to how to remain faithful. Here's how you're going to accomplish that. Acts chapter 1. Today is Pentecost. Pentecost is celebrated around the world by Christians, and it's recognized as the day that the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles. In a brand new and fresh way, it was the fulfillment of of a prophecy made not just by Christ, but by the Old Testament prophets as well. We've intentionally left up all these little markers of Easter. You guys thought we were lazy. We weren't. We left this up on pur- purpose. The crosses, the, the empty tomb, um, out front, the crosses on the front lawn. These are visual reminders of that season, not just a holiday that we tuck away like Hallmark and move on to the next one, but this season of time that changed history. And not only did Jesus dying and rising from the grave change history, but several days later, about 50 days later, the Holy Spirit coming in this new way is an absolute game changer for us today. Let me read from Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1, to kind of catch us up to the story. This is written by Dr. Luke, the same Luke that wrote what he's going to reference as the first account, which is the Gospel of Luke. And he's writing to his benefactor, Theophilus, says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, that's who that is, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So this is after Jesus rose from the dead. He's with his disciples. He tells them, stay here in Jerusalem for this promised Holy Spirit from the Father. In verse 12, it says that they agreed. You know why? Because when the dead guy rises from dead and tells you to do something, you listen. It makes you stand up and take notice, right? So here they are, obeying Jesus, waiting in Jerusalem. They're not sure how this is going to play out. Look at verse 6. 
their heads were still on a physical kingdom. Remember from last week? It's not for you to know times and places and seasons. That's fixed by the Father. Here the disciples are still convinced this is the overthrow of Rome. Is this when it's going to happen? Is that what you're talking about? What does Jesus do? Jesus, like a loving father, he just kind of takes their chin and lifts their gaze. And he says this. But, that's not what this is about. That's, that's fixed in the father. But you will receive power to be witnesses. And then he clues them in to, to the assignment that he has for them. Flip over to Acts chapter 2. The story continues. This is what we would call Pentecost. This is the, the story of what happened. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, by the way, Pentecost was a mandated feast that they were there to, to be about. Pentecost just means 50. It's the idea that 50 days later is when this all took place. They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Skip down to verse 11. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians were there. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, they are all filled with new wine. Right after this, it records Peter's sermon, having been filled with the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the sermon, people's hearts were cut to the core, and they said, what should we do? When God's word is preached, there's a response that says, I'm guilty of that. What should we do? Tell me the action item. And what does he say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. And 3,000 people were added to the church that day. And then it goes on to tell the rest of the story, or much of the rest of the story. Most of our Bibles call Acts the Acts of the Apostles. It's probably a misnomer. It probably should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. As you read through the, Acts, through, through the book of Acts, what you see is God, the Holy Spirit, at work. Now, he's working through the apostles, but no, make no mistake, it's the Holy Spirit at work. Just before you leave this passage, look back at verse uh, 4 of chapter 1. Jesus talking says, you heard from me. Let me tell you where the focus of this message is going to be. What had Jesus already said regarding the Holy Spirit? We're going to go back in time now. This is the fulfillment of the promise. We're going to go back in time and just see what, what had he said about this coming gift. Um, with that, turn over to, to John chapter 14. Here's a little aside while you're turning there, and it's in your little text box if you're taking notes this morning. God works among those who are already walking in obedience. So many times people come and say, man, I really want to see a work of God. I want to, I want to see great things for God to be doing. And here's a really simple question. Are you walking in obedience to him right now? 
Are you obeying him in what you already know he wants you doing? Because if not, that's where you start. Don't start with some big giant thing over here. Walk in simple obedience. That's where God moves. That's where God acts. Trace the number of times that love and obedience is used in John chapter 14. This, this is not meant for you to be able to read every word on the screen. This is, a, this is meant for, to, to whet your appetite and go, what does that say? And then you'll go look at it yourself. All right? Love and obedience are almost interchangeable in this conversation that Jesus is having, having in the upper room with his disciples right before he's about to go be murdered. Over and over again, he says the same thing about those who love me will keep my commandments. And he says it every which way. Here's a couple of case in points for this. Look at what the disciples did when Jesus told them to stay in Jerusalem. They obeyed. You could say that they showed their affection for Christ by obeying his word. What did God do? He did something miraculous because they obeyed. Think about the Jews who from far and wide were simply obeying God as they had probably for centuries as a people, and they were making the trek to Jerusalem to be a part of this required festival. God worked among those who were already walking in obedience. Why were they together in one place? Because God had mandated to come to Jerusalem and be a part of this festival. Now, can you imagine going to that festival the year before and a couple might be having this argument. You know, we go every single year to Jerusalem. We pack up the kids. We pack up the stuff. It's a lot of cost. We go there, and there's not a lot in it for me. The music's often a little bit too loud. Sermons are a touch long. The air isn't quite to my liking. What if they had not gone the next year to this required festival? They would have missed out on something supernatural, miraculous, that People all through history would have longed to have been a part of. Instead, they obeyed. They showed up the next year. And here it was amongst the people who were walking in obedience that God worked like never before. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. Here's what I would say to you, choir. Continue to obey. Do you know the Bible tells us not to stop doing what we're doing right here? even when I'm boring, even when the band messes up, even when the air temperature isn't to your liking, even when someone kind of looks at you a little bit sideways. Don't give up meeting with other Christians to worship God. God works amongst those who are obeying. You know, we're devoting ourselves to read the red words because we are devoted to Jesus. As we soak memorize, read, reread, seek to apply all that Jesus said. That's us saying, Jesus, we love you. It's an ongoing act of affection to discipline yourself to read the words. Not just on Sundays having someone else read the words, but you going and reading the words and soaking in the message of Christ. All right, so what did Jesus mean by, you heard from me about the Holy Spirit? The context of all that we're going to look at here is, um, is this question in, uh, in John 13, 36. You don't need to turn there, but Peter asks this question, where are you going? And then that launches into this whole big discussion. Uh, John chapter 14, 15. Here it is. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Skip down to verse 26 of chapter 14. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Flip over to John chapter 15 and look at verse 26. Jesus says this, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. Flip over to John 16, verse 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. John chapter 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. So what does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? Here's what's kind of curious. Go look for specific parables or sermons about the Holy Spirit. I can't find any. That's not what he does. He doesn't go the sermon or parable route. What he goes is the promise route. Do you see from all the passages that I just read to you, over and over and over, Jesus is saying, restating and reclarifying a promise being given to his disciples? This will happen. He must have just been looking at them and with certainty giving them the assurance, this is coming. I'm going away, but the helper is coming. So after reminding them, reinforcing it, saying again, and then saying it one more time a different way, he comes through on the promise. Jesus seems to be adamant that this is a key to the rest of their story. Front cover of your bulletin this morning has an image of someone kiteboarding. Now, you probably don't know a whole bunch about it, and experientially, I don't either. I've seen other people do it, but never done it. Um, but even though you don't know much about kiteboarding, there's probably a few things that you could surmise just by, just by seeing a single picture. Um, one is this. If you struggle to walk and chew gum, this may not be the sport for you, right? This sounds quasi-simple. We're going to be like kind of wakeboarding, surfing, and flying a kite. But you're strapped into this kite, right? And it can take you places. So, um, so you know, again, maybe, maybe something you want to be careful about. Number two is that it requires help in the form of wind. You can see very easily from this person that if there is no wind, there's no fun. You don't go anywhere, right? You're floating in the water without the wind. Thirdly, you have no control over the help that you receive. There's something mysterious about wind, right? You can predict it. You can study it. You can have measurements. You can show up with all your gear, and then it cannot show up, and you have no recourse. <laughs> you wait. That's what you do. You have no control over the wind. You simply experience it and maybe try to harness it. Overlay this with the Holy Spirit and the Christian. Number one, strapped in and committed is definitely how I describe the Christian life. What they use is almost like a trapeze harness that's here, and you're actually strapped into this kite. That's how they can shoot 20 feet up into the air and do these crazy jumps, is because they're strapped into the thing. That's definitely how I describe the Christian life. What I would not say is it doesn't take the elite, though. This sport is for the elite. 
you know, you, you can walk and chew gum, you can fly a kite and you can surf. The Christian life is open to all. In fact, God seems to get extra pleasure out of taking those. He'd go, there's no way that person should be kiteboarding, and yet there they are. Uh, number two, the idea that it requires help. No Holy Spirit, no go. Do you know that the word in Hebrew and Greek for spirit is the same word as wind or breath? No Holy Spirit, no go in the Christian life. You're just floating in the water. That's all you're doing. Mandatory that a Christian has the Holy Spirit. And number three, are you in control of God's Spirit? Quite the contrary. The Bible describes it this way. We're under the control of the Holy Spirit. We are literally possessed by the Holy Spirit. Usually in our culture, we think of that in sort of a negative term. Oh, he's possessed by something. A Christian is possessed by the Holy Spirit. That means that we're, we're controlled by God's Holy Spirit. And our part in that is to just go with it, experience it, harness it, work with, with where the wind is moving, if you will. Now let me stop here for one moment. Every single metaphor breaks down at some point, and one of the things that's, that's already starting to maybe re-entrench in your mind is this problem. The spirit is not an impersonal force. The spirit is a person. So in the same way that we would say Jesus speaks, Jesus wills, Jesus got angry in the temple, the Holy Spirit possesses all of those things. Many times with the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we talk about Father and Son, we get those terms, but a lot of times through the centuries, through bad teaching, whatever else, we kind of think of the Spirit as some impersonal force, and certainly the, the kiteboarding metaphor breaks down at that point. The Holy Spirit is a person, it's the third person of the Trinity. You familiar with the term dead in the water? It's not a new Jaws sequel coming up or anything like that. Dead in the water. I've got a Navy guy over here shaking his head. Dead in the water is a nautical term. It's for a boat or a ship that is stuck. It can't go anywhere. Imagine a sailboat with absolutely no wind whatsoever. Right? You're going to go as fast as you can paddle. That's it. Or as fast as the current is going. You are dead in the water. I want you to think of Peter um, before uh, the Holy Spirit came. Okay? Peter, Peter, prior to the Holy Spirit coming, uh, is, is, is dead in the water. In essence, you, you watch Peter, and um, he's all talk and no action. He kind of bluffs and blunders his way along. He ends up picking fights because he kind of steps forward and, and like, you know, half starts to pick a fight, but then he runs and hides and denies, right, and, and, and cowers. He looks a lot like a normal person, right? He's one of the guys that kind of goes out there first and, and loudest, but often doesn't come through. And then as you read the Gospels and you get to know this man, Peter, this, this kid, really, who started to follow Jesus and, and, and be with him in his ministry, and then you see the transformation that happens after Jesus Christ rises from the dead, after the Holy Spirit falls on him at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that we just read. And pretty soon what you realize is this. Peter bold as a lion. Peter who is confident where before he was questioning. Peter knows who he is and what he has. Hey, silver and gold, I don't have any of that for you, but what I have, I give to you. Stand up and walk, and he heals a guy on the spot. Hey, the authorities are telling you that you can't preach. <laughs> can't do that. I answer to a higher authority. Filled with boldness, filled with courage. He soared to incredible heights. I'm sure that those who knew Peter must have said this. What on earth has gotten into Peter? 
That is really, really, really close to asking the right question. What's the right question? Who? Who has gotten into Peter? That's the right question. Peter was indwelt, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what happened to Peter. That's why the Peter of Acts looks so different from the Peter of the Gospels. So how does this whole promise of Jesus Christ about the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment coming some 50 days later, and then the early church starting, how does all of that work out in our lives today? What impact does it have for us? Here's what I've noticed. People get really nervous when talking about the Holy Spirit. There might be a little edge or tension in you right now. Maybe you don't even know what that is. Maybe you're not even sure what, well, what is that going on in me that, that I'm, I'm nervous about this. If you come from a charismatic Pentecostal background, then you're probably worried that, um, that there will be an underemphasis of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times people from backgrounds that are Pentecostal, charismatic, they're looking for certain buzzwords to show up in a sermon. They're looking for certain symbols to kind of be revealed. There's a lot of talk about the Spirit. There's much seeking the signs and the gifts, but often at the expense of seeking the gift giver. It sometimes can become all about manifestations and outward signs and not seeking God. You can leave a, a meeting wowed by a person or wowed by a sign, but not wowed by God. The test should not be, have we received an external sign or a particular gift, but have you given yourself over completely to God? That's the charismatic Pentecostal kind of swing of things over here. Let's move, let's move all the way over to the other side. Maybe we'll call them conservative evangelicals, although I'm not sure either one of those are a fair, broad brushstroke. But if that's your background, then you're worried right now about the lack of control and weird manifestations that I might start talking about. It starts to freak you out when we read passages like we just read about divided tongues of fire landing on people and then speaking in languages that they previously had not known. Often conservative evangelicals are quick to systematically explain the Spirit, yet are so dry and lifeless that you wonder if they know the Holy Spirit or just study the Holy Spirit. Any room for mystery and wonder is quickly squelched by these people due to fear and lack of control. Oftentimes there's proper language given about the role of the Spirit, reference to the Holy Spirit, but little expectation for Him to act and move. The test is whether or not your church and life are explainable without the Spirit. If this church exists, if your Christian life exists, and it's totally explainable without the role of the Holy Spirit, you might be in trouble of not being in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Here's my question for you. Why is it that you seek the Holy Spirit? And maybe on the other end is this. Why do you avoid the Holy Spirit? Why maybe do some of you wish I would hurry up and move on? Why are some of you possibly going, yes, yes, do this more and more? Let me pose a couple of thoughts. If it is to show off, to reveal how much God must love you because he would display his powerful workings in your life through a sign, then that's sin. Repent of that. If it is because you fear the unknown that you avoid talk of the Holy Spirit, seeking the Holy Spirit, 
opening yourself to the Spirit. If it's because you fear the uncomfortable and you have a sense that he might lead you there, that's sin. Repent of that. When Neighborhood Bible Church was first starting, we put together a kind of a vision document. We, we did several iterations of these, actually, and I want to take you back to one that was put together in 2008, um, some things that we were putting down on paper. I had a visitor a few years ago um, who said this. He said, you know, this is the most charismatic, non-charismatic church I've ever been a part of. And I said, awesome. <laughs> I like that title. Charisma means grace. Man, I, I want this place to be charismatic. I want this place to be spirit-filled. I'm thrilled that you think this is the most charismatic, non-charismatic church you've ever been to. I asked what he meant by that, and what he said was this. He said, I grew up in, in a hyper-charismaniac-type movement. And I saw the abuses of it, and I, I just saw all the wackiness that went on with that, and many things that steered away from, from what I read in the Bible. But as I tried to get close to Christians who took the Bible seriously, and it wasn't just a, a free-for-all at all times, I found many churches to be dry and lifeless and stifling with no talk or expectation of the Spirit to move. Under a section that we called Glocal, which is a combination of global and local, where we're trying to kind of blend the idea of, of world missions and local evangelism into one idea, we wrote this. We will be led by the Spirit. At all organizational levels, church-wide, community groups, individually, we will encourage and allow freedom, allow for freedom to serve as the Holy Spirit leads. This implies following, yielding, seeking, and obeying. We will actively highlight and support what this looks like through testimonies, prayer meetings, strategy sessions, and partnerships. This means that while we will provide paths to follow, we won't institutionalize or package service and witnessing, but will cultivate the climate of walking daily in step with the Spirit. Let me have a few passages from Galatians. Galatians 5.16 says this, So I say, live by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Since we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's been our heart cry from early on. Secondly, from a passage or from a part of it under worship, we will not over-explain God, but we will leave room for wonder and mystery. This is talking about what, what's going to happen as we gather as a church. As we gather on Sundays, this will include planned parts in the service as well as unplanned elements that promote genuine worship. We will strive to create an atmosphere that is spiritually centered and not physically dominant. We will not shy away from those parts of God that we don't understand. I would encourage you as a Christian, don't shy away from those parts of God that you don't understand. There are things in the Bible that if I was the editor, I would have removed a long time ago. Praise God I'm not the editor. As I've grown, as I've sought, as I've said, God, that makes you look really bad. This culture doesn't accept that. That violates my sensibilities about what's even just. You ever been there? Ever read things? Ever seen things? Ever heard Jesus say things and go, ooh, hope my non-Christian friends don't find this passage. 
I would know how to answer that. I'm not sure how I feel about that. We've come as a gathering this morning to say, God, we want to we have you reveal yourself for who you are, and we'll adjust to that. I'll tell you what that does for me in my own life. It's developed me. It's strengthened my muscles. Because I've gone, oh, I don't like that, and I've wrestled with that, and I've come back to that. And I walk away thinking, man, I'm so glad I don't understand every nuanced part of God, or else he's probably a God made after my own image in my own mind. All right. Um, Let me just say this. We are thrilled with all that God is accomplishing in and amongst this place, and yet we long for and know there's so much more. Amen? As you read the Bible, you say, God, there has to be more. There has to be more than what we're experiencing here. I'm thrilled with our church. I'm thrilled with what God's doing. But I long for more. Um, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will comfort us. Your translations use a few different words. The comforter will come. The helper will come. The guide will come. The counselor will come. The Holy Spirit has many titles, just like Jesus has many titles. Here's a question for us. That's a quote. I didn't make a slide for this. You'll have to listen carefully. How much will you need a comforter if your life is already comfortable? If Jesus promised that a comforter is coming, think about this. How much do you really need a comforter if your life is already comfortable? Those who experience the promise are those who are walking sacrificially as Jesus did. Jesus knew that followers of Jesus would need a comforter. You know why? Because he walked that path. He knew that if they followed his lead, they would need a comforter. Here's a second question. Do you need a guide if you are always in familiar territory? How much do you need a guide if you are always in familiar territory? Isn't the mandate for Christians to go? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. I was challenged as a youth. I heard this often. Unless it's a no, go. Unless it's a no, go. You know what that did? That prevented me from just mindlessly kind of, I was born in San Jose, I guess I'll stay in San Jose, I guess I'll just kind of stick around. I was constantly, I had a mindset of saying, I'm I'm to go and make disciples. That means that if you're staying, I hope that you've wrestled with God on that and you're convinced God is calling you to stay here. One of the things I've wrestled with some is I have close friends who've left the wealth and comfort and known stability of San Jose for far and wild places with very little comfort. And I said, God, am I, am I just relaxing by being here? Do you want me to go? And thus far, up to this point, the answer has been, Stay. Go unless it's a no. Here's some people who've left our church recently for China, for Kenya, for the Tenderloin District of San Francisco, for Seattle, for Billings, Montana, and a couple weeks ago for West Sacramento. Now, those aren't quite as exotic as we always think of when we think of missionaries, is it? But do you know that every single one of those, as they've been sent out, has been sent out with a missionary mindset? Here's a reality. Uh, Even if you stay, you can go. Even if you stay planted in your current house for the next 12 months, isn't it true that the Holy Spirit can and will and does lead you to go? 
Isn't it true that you'll be led into uncomfortable places? Isn't it true that you will be led into unfamiliar territory where the Holy Spirit will have to guide you? Anyone a parent in here today? Yeah, parenting is one of those, right? Each new year. Anyone married? That's part of it. Anyone be drawn into someone who's hurting and they've, out of response to the Holy Spirit, entered into someone's deep hurt to walk with them? That's going into unfamiliar territory. Anyone open their mouth to be a witness for Jesus, have no idea what to say, and realize in that moment, I need a guide, I need a helper. Anyone persecuted right now on the job, in the school, or socially in your family because you're a Christian? You need the comforter. So you can go even as you stay. Let me invite the team to come on up. We have a team of students uh, that are going to be meeting today in preparation for something next week. As they come up, um, let me give you this quote from Tertullian, who's an early church father. The Lord challenges us to suffer persecutions and to confess Him. He wants those who belong to Him to be brave and fearless. He Himself shows how weakness of the flesh is overcome by courage of the Spirit. This is the testimony of the apostles and in particular of the representative administering spirit. A Christian is fearless. Uh, Most of you probably know this, but um, Josh Barrow, who is back, is he up here? He's not. He was just sitting in here. I must have offended him in my sermon. He left. Um, (laughs) Josh Barrow's been on a nine-month internship up in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco working with a ministry group called City Impact, And uh, next week, we have some students um, that are going to be heading up there. One of the things that Ben does um, with the youth is if there's ever a fifth Sunday, uh, he makes a point of taking our youth outside the four walls of the church to go and serve. One of the things I'm really thankful for, and I hope you are as well, church, is for a youth pastor who instills in our kids two things. One is confidence in the Holy Spirit, fearless. Going and leading out, knowing that God's with them. Are the teens going to be um, comfortable in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco next week? No. Are they going to be in familiar territory? Far from it. But are they going to have the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. I am thrilled that we have a youth pastor that leads students into that. More than that, I'm thrilled that as he goes and does that in a In a fearless Christian way, he does it in a humble servant's way. He wants to instill in our kids, and he's partnering with families to instill instill a heart of service in our kids. Um, So, Ben, give me me a couple of ways specifically that we can be praying for you guys as you head up next week. Sure. First of all, there might be some out there that didn't come up because they don't know what's going on. But this is for those that are going to San Francisco City Impact. So if you're going to San Francisco City Impact or thinking about going, you can be up here or you can just sit there and receive prayer anyways. But two things we'd love prayer for. Number one is safety. We are going to be in the Tenderloin District, one of the most unsafe places, definitely in the city of San Francisco itself, but even in the state, one of the most unsafe places. And then also just pray over logistics. It's a Sunday, so the trains are sporadic, and you know we want to make sure we catch the right trains and don't get stuck up there for hours or miss our trains or you know that kind of stuff. And there will be a, a large group of us going together, so we'd appreciate prayer for that as well. Awesome. Hey, let me just pray for these guys. God, I lift up this team to you. I thank you so much for Josh and what you've been doing in his heart and life, and I thank you for that contact, God. And 
We pray that our, our students would experience you in a fresh way as they walk in obedience. God, I pray that this would be motivated next week out of love for you, that obedience and love is the same idea, and that, um, God, as they express their affection for you, that you will show up in powerful ways. We do pray for the logistics of the trip. We pray for uh, your will to be done, God. We pray for open doors to serve and minister. We thank you, God, that you care for people who are um, in poverty, whether that's poverty of wealth, poverty of, uh, of identity, poverty of opportunity, God, that that they matter to you. And I pray that as an extension of our church goes up next Sunday, God, that as we worship here, they will be worshiping you up there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, you guys. So next Sunday, when all the youth are gone, uh, you'll understand why. Uh, You could just remember to pray for them. Be praying for them this week and be praying for them um, uh, as as they go. Let me wrap up with this. Um... The Bible makes it really clear that every Christian has the Holy Spirit. You you can't have um, a non-born-again spirit. That which is spirit is born of spirit. That's what we opened up with in in John chapter 3, Jesus saying those words. I reread a book this week that I had read a long time ago called Forgotten God. It's a little thin read on the Holy Spirit by a guy by the name of Francis Chan. And, um, And... in it, he kind of compiles some scriptures, and, and uh, this list is sort of a <laughs> grabbing, grabbing that. And here's my challenge to you. In your notes, if you haven't filled anything out yet, that's quite all right. Here's a good time to, to fill something out. Um, I, put almost all, I put all the scriptures in there so you're not writing like a mad person, asking your neighbor, wait, what? And, you know, trying to write like crazy and your pen catches on fire and all that. Um, So most of it's there, but I I left something for you to fill in so you'll kind of track with me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take each of these promises that we find in Scripture literally. I want you to ponder each one of these, not like a grocery list to just kind of whip through, but take this week and ponder these each week, or each individually, and say, God, how is this manifest? How is this showing up in my life? And if it's not showing up, or if you sense, gosh, I, I wish I had that in greater measure, ask God for that. Ask him. Here's number one. The Spirit helps us speak when we are in a precarious situations and need to bear witness. That's one of the effects that takes place in the life of a believer. Do you know how you know whether this is showing up or not? You speak up for Jesus. Those who know this experientially speak up for Jesus. And they find themselves being helped in that process. Secondly, The counselor teaches and reminds us of what we need to know and remember. He guides us in the way that we should go. Remember Jesus saying, I have more things to say to you, but you can't handle it right now. But the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he'll guide you into all truth. That's Jesus continuing to speak to us. Thirdly, from the Spirit we receive power to be God's witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's why he's empowered us. The Holy Spirit not only initially draws people to God through the gospel, but he also draws believers closer to Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we put to death the misdeeds of the body. The Spirit sets us free from the sins that we cannot get rid of on our own. An example of that is reading Paul's writing in Romans 6, 7, and 8. 
Through the Spirit, we have received a spirit of adoption as children, which leads us into intimacy with the Father, instead of a relationship based on fear and slavery. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us confidence that we are, in fact, children of God. It testifies to that. He testifies to that. Next one. The Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. He does this both before we are initially uh, enter into a right relationship with God and as we journey with Him as believers. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Next, the Spirit brings us life and freedom. Where the Spirit is, there is freedom, not bondage and slavery. Look around the planet. This is massive news. This is a giant change from what we see in the physical, fleshly, natural world. Next, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we abound with hope. Read Romans 15, 13. That's a great short little passage uh, on the work of the Holy Spirit. That was, a, that was a new one to me. It was a reminder to me, one I hadn't thought about in a long time. Next one, the Spirit gives gifts to each believer for the common good. This is what this means. It means that we all have something to offer because of how the Spirit has gifted each one of us as Christians. And finally, good fruit is produced in us as a result of being led by God's Spirit. Many of you know something called the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the attitudes and characteristics that ought to be pervasive and growing in us individually, in our families, and in our churches as we yield to the Holy Spirit. It's a process of sanctification, having Christ formed in us, and that's the Spirit's work. Imagine with me just for a moment how the church would look if we were all keeping in step with the Spirit, controlled by and following His lead. How unexplainable would our church services be? How unexplainable would our home lives be, our pocketbooks, the way we spend our time? What new heights could God lift us to for the sake of what He's doing here in this neighborhood? Do you know that God is on a redeeming work in this neighborhood? That's what He's about. And He's empowered Christians for a very specific purpose of joining that work. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here as we gather. We thank you for the indwelling in our lives. Probably for many of us in this room, we need to repent and just say, my eyes have been freshly opened to some old truths that like a public library I've taken for granted, forgotten about, and walked past. Forgive us, God, for not walking as you've instructed to us. I pray that as a church, we would hear what the Spirit says to this church. That God, our eyes wouldn't be trained on what's new and around the corner. That our eyes wouldn't be trained on just incorporating and roping over worldly methods of success. But that we would lean on the Holy Spirit to accomplish the spiritual work that we're involved in. We love you and thank you for this morning. Amen.